Genesis 26, we'll be looking at the whole chapter, but we're just going to simply read verses 1 through 5. Why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the land, but besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we pray even now that you would open our hearts and minds, Father, to receive your word. And, oh, God, it's our prayer we would be changed by your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, some of you, maybe even many of you, are planning to go out to eat a special Valentine's supper with your significant other tonight. And others of you better be planning to go have a special Valentine's supper with your significant other tonight. You can consider this the Lord's grace to you today, if you've forgotten up until now. We had deacons meeting this morning. I told those brothers, I said, now listen, you're going to have a little break between deacons meeting and church to go make things right if you haven't done so already. And so I would encourage you to leave your gift at the altar and go find some way to make things right. But some of you will be out to supper tonight. And just imagine for a moment that you're at whatever restaurant you plan to be at tonight. You look over and you see a young man and a young woman sitting at a table together. And uh, you see them and they're enjoying themselves. He reaches over and pushes some hair out of her face. She, 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 she caresses his cheek. And then suddenly they just burst out into a fit of laughter. And you look at them and you think, wow, what precious siblings those are. What, what, what a beautiful thing it is just to see brothers and sisters. You know, family has fallen on such hard times in modern age. What a beautiful thing it is to see them out enjoying life together in this way. Well, of course you don't think that. It'd be weird to think that. You know exactly what's going on when you see people behaving in such a way. And as you read this chapter, you'll see a situation where Abimelech has a little bit of deja vu. Something happens again that he's seen before. He, he, he's no fool. He knows the sort of thing that all of us know. And though Isaac, like his father Abraham, has claimed that his wife is his sister to save his own hide, Abimelech sees them laughing together. It's interesting that the author uses, chooses to highlight him seeing laughter as it's sort of a play on words with Isaac's very name. But you see that he's experiencing a little deja vu, and maybe you are too. In fact, those of you who are more astute readers of the Bible, as you read through Genesis chapter 26, you're going to see 
situation after situation that strikes you as familiar, that strikes you as similar. In fact, it's probably one of the things that makes Genesis hard for you to read and understand is that sometimes it feels like some situations are repeating themselves. Moses is intentionally highlighting similarities between the life of Isaac and the life of his father Abraham here in this passage. And I think he's doing it to teach us something about the way time passes and the way that God is at work over time. Over time. We have a funny relationship to time. Uh, So often we think and say time heals, time changes things. There's a myth out there that people are just sort of getting better. This idea of human progress. Humans are progressing. Society is progressing, folks say. A few years ago, I had my kids at the playground, and I smelled something, and I realized it was cigarette smoke. And I thought, my goodness, who in the world is going to smoke on a playground? Kids running around playing, you know? I mean, if you want to smoke, I understand, but don't blow it on my kid, you know? I looked around, I thought, I wonder if I should say something. I heard my wife in my mind saying, Matt, shut up. (laughs) And then I looked around and I realized I'm in a group of parents standing at this playground. I looked around, six or seven people were smoking. And I thought, well, I can't fight all of them. I I better keep my mouth shut. And I was reminded again in that moment that human progress is a myth. (laughs) People tell us what to do and we don't do it. But people tell us what's wise and we don't listen You might be on the wrong side of history, you hear people say. And yet, even as some things get better over time, can't we all recognize that at the same time, other things get worse? And indeed, some things get better, some things get worse, and lots and lots of things just stay the same. And one of those things that's peculiarly similar in every age is us. Similar situations, similar sins, looking to the same God for grace and love in the midst of our foibles and even our wickedness. Moses is highlighting to us these similarities between Isaac and Abraham. And this morning, I want to show you the way this text is meant to tell us about God's faithfulness as time progresses and, and our relationship to God even as things change, even as time, like an ever rolling stream, bears all its sons away. We see the way that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Moses is showing us these similarities. He wants us to learn from these things, and he wants us to see the way that many things that are old simply become new again. Three truths this morning that I think will help you understand the gospel and understand God's faithfulness in relation to the passage of time. Here's the first thing. Time doesn't end troubles. Time doesn't end troubles. Isaac, as this passage opens, encounters a famine in the land. Now, I'm thankful for Moses, the author of Genesis, who makes it really clear to us that it was a different famine, that he recognizes that one day there will be need to clarify this, and so he clarifies it for us, the readers. He says there was a famine in the land, and it was different then. It was besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. 
Similarly, Abraham encountered a famine. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there because the famine was severe in the land. And yet in this situation, the Lord intentionally intervenes with Isaac and tells him, don't go to Egypt. In other words, don't do exactly what Abraham did. I want you to stay here. What we see here, another one of the themes of Genesis, which is the outworking of the fall. This land which God gave and which God blessed and which God meant for man to benefit from, that was meant to produce all good things for our flourishing, instead is susceptible to famine. And not just one famine, but a famine in another generation. That which God gave to be good has now become a detriment to man's good. Nonetheless, the Lord tells Isaac to stay there in Gerar. And something happens there, if you fast forward a little bit in the story, verses 12 through 16, the the Lord begins to bless Isaac. The Bible says that there in this land, he sowed and he reaped and the Lord blessed him and he became rich. And he gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had flocks and herds and many servants. And the Philistines, the Bible says, were jealous. Now, so often we kind of look back over our shoulders at the patriarchs. And, and some people make a lot, of, a lot of money today sort of playing this sort of thing up. And that we act like all of God's blessings are material and financial blessings. But I want you to think about what God's doing in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and later Jacob and other others of the patriarchs, these early families. What is God doing? Out of them, the Lord is building a nation, a great people. And the Lord intends to preserve for himself this people in order that he might bring the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And so in order that God's purpose of grace might stand, in order that the Lord might glorify himself by preserving for himself a people, in order to bring a Messiah into the world, so often to build this nation, what's required is resources. And so often then for the patriarchs, God's blessings were not only spiritual realities, but the Lord blessed them physically to give them the means by which to grow their families and to grow their lands and to provide for those that would eventually become the nation of Israel. That doesn't mean that the Lord will bless every generation the same way. It doesn't mean that God will bless every person the same way. But you recognize as you grow and you become wealthy... As Biggie Smalls once said, mo money, mo problems. You have to have water. You have to have water to water the flocks. The Philistines are already a little jealous, and so similar to Abraham, similarly to Abraham, his shepherds and other shepherds begin to have quarrels over wells. It happened to Abraham in chapter 21, and here's the case with Isaac in chapter 26. I... I would like to share more about this text and show you other details, but let's get down to business. Time does not eradicate troubles. I mean, do you see what Moses is trying to show us? Do you see what the Spirit is choosing to highlight here? Suffering and conflict exist. And when you, when you look at these passages, when you look at the fall, where we start in Genesis 3 when the fall happens and we're all the way here in Genesis chapter 26, and at some point or another, God's people might say, surely to goodness, this is when this is all going to end. Surely to goodness, this is when these troubles are going to end. You've probably been in a similar situation where you've had the phone ring twice in a week, and it's been bad news every time, and you think, I know what's coming on the third ring. 
And here we are several generations out from the fall, and yet the fall is still spreading. Time does not eradicate troubles. But others of you might be in the midst of a troubling season right now, and the thing you might be saying, the thing you might be crying out to the Lord and saying is, Why me, Lord? I've served you so many years, and I've done this and I've done that. Why is it, Lord? Do you not love me anymore? I want you to know something. God, God doesn't spoil His children in the sense that He spares them from troubles. Now, sometimes we wish He would. And some of us, that's what we really actually signed up for. Uh, we, we thought, listen, okay, yeah, I hear what you're saying, serve God. And if I serve God, He'll treat me good. You've missed the gospel of grace, if that's what you think. No, 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 no. God doesn't spoil His children in the sense that He spares them from troubles. Oh, Lord, I have troubles, and I'm troubled, and I'm suffering, God. You might say, why, Lord, why? Well, I want you to remember right now that the Lord treated Abraham the same way. The Lord treated Isaac the same way. The Lord didn't spare His people suffering. Don't you know that the Lord didn't spare His own son trouble and suffering and affliction? Don't for a moment let the devil tell you that your troubles and your suffering mean that you're less than a son or daughter of God because God did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all? Don't you know that the Lord Jesus was well acquainted with grief, the Bible says? Just because you're troubled doesn't mean God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that you need to pull yourself up from your bootstraps and do better and try to please God more. The Lord doesn't spoil His children. And mere time doesn't make troubles go away. Second of all, sin doesn't just disappear. Sin doesn't just get swept under the rug. Notice what the Bible says in verses 6 through 11. I've already explained to you sort of the gist. Isaac's got a pretty wife, and he knows where he's headed, and he knows that folks might enjoy uh, adding his wife to their wife collection here in Philistine, in the, among the Philistines. And so what does he say? This is my sister. Because the way that another man might get Isaac's wife is by killing Isaac. And so to save his own hide, he does something that I would say is sinful. I think the Bible teaches is sinful. The story is similar to what happened earlier with Abraham, and the Bible says Abimelech. I, I tend to think it was the same person in both stories there's always the possibility that it was a family name or or something like that but the the, the text seems to indicate it's the same person in, in the time before the lord warned abimelech but this time abimelech warns isaac isn't it strange the way that sin rears its head in such similar ways generation after generation isn't it interesting that sometimes we just expect sin to naturally get better? Just over time, I'm sure things will get better. We'll learn the lessons we're supposed to learn. That's never the case. Sin has to be fought. Sin has to be destroyed. Sin has to be killed. So much of what we must do as Christians is to prepare the next generation to learn from our sin and grow past our sin. That's not something we're very good at, guys. No, no, no. So often we tend to be defensive about our own sin 
in such a way that we don't prepare the next generation to do better than we did. Time's not going to fix that. We have to repent of these things. And so what we tend to do is we tend to say, oh, we did that stuff too. Who cares? Or we say things like, is everything just going to be considered wrong these days? I guess it will. Or some other combination of those things. We try to, we try to play off the way that we sin, and we're not preparing the next, next generation to grow in godliness and to grow in holiness. We need to own our sin before God, and we need to own our sin before the next generation. I think about this a lot, not just in terms of my own children, but I think and pray a lot that the Lord would show me as I grow as a pastor, as I develop as a pastor, that God would show me the ways that I've not been faithful as a pastor. And so as we grow as a church and as we bring young men and women here to go into the ministry and we prepare young men here to be pastors of local churches, that I, I want to make sure that I'm saying, listen, here are things I did that were wrong and sinful, and I hope and pray that you will be more faithful than I am. I pray that if the children of this church or the people who serve on the staff of this church go on one day somewhere off in the future to pastor churches, my prayer, if one of my boys is called to pastor the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope and pray he's more faithful than I am. I pray. We have to have the sort of attitude that owns our sin and that helps the next generation move forward. Several years ago, we had an intern here at the church, and he was a young African-American man. He's actually serving now as the college pastor just down the road at First Baptist Church of Jacksonville. And one of our senior saints uh, caught me one Wednesday night, and they said to me, Pastor, I'm so glad that we have an African-American man serving our church. There's someone well into their 80s. And they looked at me in the eyes, and tears just about welled up in their eyes. And they said, you know, we used to see things differently on these issues. And we didn't see things the way the Lord would have us see things. We were so wrong about that. We were so wrong about that. And I just rejoice that we're making things right in later years. And I looked at that person in the face, and I thought about it, and I said, thank you for saying that. And from that moment forward, I've thought so many times, I've not seen faith like this in Israel. And what an inspiration it was for me. To have someone say, I was wrong, I was sinful in the past, but God is gracious and good and I rejoice in that. My friends, that's the attitude we ought to have. And, and, and maybe it's not on things like that. Maybe it's not on race or whatever else, but whatever it may be on or whatever it might be about, have you owned your sin before God and made a commitment to move forward by His grace? Because mere time doesn't fix sin. Time doesn't ease our troubles. Time doesn't fix sin. But finally, and most importantly, God's grace doesn't fade. God's grace never fades. God, God's grace doesn't fade. Some things get worse. Some things get better. But some things never change. And every single one of us in this room can be thankful that one thing that never changes is the faithful graciousness of God. As this famine hits the land, and I'm sure Isaac is starting to teeter a little bit and wondering whether or not this will be the moment when the Lord's people no longer have that part of His promise where they are guaranteed to be in the Lord's place. And perhaps when the famine hits the land, he's wondering, 
whether or not he's going to be able to provide for his family. And then if his sons die, if his children die, then how will the promises of God continue? And the Lord is so good. He gives us strength and confidence and gracious reminders of his goodness when we need it. Notice what he says to Isaac. He says, don't go down to Egypt. Dwell where I tell you to dwell. Verse 3, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. God is reiterating to Isaac the covenant promises that he made to Abraham. And do you see how Isaac inherited from his father troubles? That things that troubled Abraham troubled Isaac? And do you see how Isaac inherited from his father sinful tendencies? That some sins that Abraham committed, Isaac tended to commit? And yet the other thing that Isaac received was the faithful graciousness of God, no matter what. And as the chapter progresses and, and these troubles are progressing and it feels like things seem to sort of be tenuous in terms of the promise, finally Isaac finds a place and, and he finds a place where there's plenty of room and he calls it Rehoboth. Where there's plenty of room where nobody's quarreling with him over the wells and there he's able to grow and prosper and do all that God's called him to do. From there he goes to Beersheba and that's when the Lord appears to him. Do, do you see that the Lord comes to him again. Verse 24, The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And so Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug the well. Then Abimelech comes, and Abimelech makes a peaceful treaty, and right when he learns that, they find water in the new well. And they name this place after an oath. But it's not just the oath that he and Abimelech made over him living in this land, but it's the oath, I believe, that the Lord made. The promise that he made to Abraham. And, and the confidence that Isaac needed to have in the oath which God made. This theme of an oath works its way through all of the chapter. This theme of a covenant is working its way through. And the Lord reiterates the covenant to Isaac more than once. And so by the end of the chapter, as we follow this narrative, we see the way that God has reiterated His gracious purposes to Isaac two times. He's blessed Isaac and his people greatly. He's given them land in which they can thrive. He's granted them a covenant with Abimelech, helping put away strife and trouble that they have with the people of the land. God is showing himself faithful over and over and over again. And even though the realities of sin and the realities of the fall are still there, God is a God who is faithful no matter what. Troubles will be with you. Those of you who trust the Lord or who are thinking about trusting the Lord, I cannot promise and will not promise that you won't have troubles. I cannot and will not 
promise you that whatever temptation has driven you to your knees before the Lord, I cannot promise you that the very moment you put faith in it will make it miraculously go away. It may be that you fight that temptation every day for the rest of your life. But I want you to know, if you've put your trust in Jesus, or today if you put your trust in Jesus, I will make a promise to you, and it's not a promise that I make on my own authority or on my behalf, but on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, I tell you, God will be with you. God is faithful to His people. There are so many things that time changes. There are other things that time can't change. But thanks be to God, no matter what, God's love is the same. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. And one time's not enough. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Drink deep, saints. Drink deep of the well of God's covenant love this morning. Know that no matter what changes, no matter how time flails along, just know that God is faithful age to age the same. Though troubles may feel like they'll derail you and sin feels like it might strangle you, God is there. He is faithful. He keeps His promises. He sent His Son into the world and He is holding you fast through everything you may go through. Nothing can take you out of the hand of the Father. And don't we all see this morning the way that God's faithfulness was at work in the life of Abraham and in the life of Isaac? We'll dig a little deeper into the lives of Jacob and Esau. And all throughout the pages of the Old Testament, through David and the prophets, God preserved His people. Seemingly sometimes on the verge and edge of collapse, and yet God preserved His people. Until one day, in a little town called Bethlehem, a baby would be born. A baby lying in a manger on whose shoulders rested the hope of the world. And do you see how God was faithful to him? And through him, God has been faithful to you. Oh sinner, would you put your trust in Jesus this morning? I invite you today to put your trust in Jesus. I invite you today, if you're a Christian, to trust God more, to trust His promises. I invite you today, if you're looking for a church home, to consider whether God might be calling you here to First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to do business with the Lord right where you are. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that though old troubles might be new again, and though old sins might become new again, we praise you, God, for the fact that your ancient, beautiful, unchanging mercy and grace 
is new every morning. And oh God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.